Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I am the West Midlands Group's Communications Officer. On today's episode, the West Midlands Group's Brinley Porter caught up with Kalingri farmer Sarah Mason to unpack her experience eradicating spiny rush from her property. Sarah will share the ongoing activities and tools her and her husband Jeff used to ensure re-establishment of the invasive weed is prevented. And later in the episode, we'll hear from the newest member of the West Midlands Group team, Erin O'Brien. We get to know Erin, who has taken on the role of Beef Industry Development Officer. We find out what motivated her to get into ag after growing up in Perth. We also discover that she has quite a unique pet. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on information provided in this podcast. Hi everyone, you're listening to Brindley Porter from West Midlands Group. Today we're going to be focusing on the topic of Juncus acutus, more commonly known as spiny or spike rush, an invasive introduced weed that is flourishing along our waterways. I'd like to welcome the lovely Sarah Mason to our program. Sarah is an environmentally focused landholder from Kalingari. Hi Sarah. Hello Brynn. It's been lovely. We've just been all around your beautiful farm. Yes. Yes. Had a look at some of the issues that we've got around the place. Yes. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your property and what you specialise in? Okay. Um, My mum bought the property in 2001 and I knew nothing about anything back then. It was a very steep learning curve. Uh, I've been helped along the way by lots of great people and lots of land care groups and stuff like that. Um, one of the first visits we had was from the Waters and Rivers Department, which I don't think exists anymore. And the guy who came along happened to see some spike brush and said, oh, you've got to get rid of that. And I'm like, what do I do? And he said, well, because you've only got one or two plants, make sure you collect the seed and then dig it out or spray it. Well, the plant was huge, but we did collect the seed and we did spray it with glyphosate. I then learned that actually really spraying with glyphosate when they're huge plants or a big infestation is is probably the only way to go. We did always try and collect the seed. Obviously, if it's if it's a large area, that's a little bit impossible. We went to a river restoration workshop. I think it was held by Avon Catchment Group, as they were called back then. Mm-hmm. And they had large areas which they'd done trials on. And one of the ways was to burn it in late sort of autumn, winter. And then when the regrowth happened to go through and spray with glyphosate, but spraying with glyphosate in summer because that way you're not affecting the frog population. Because if you spray in winter with glyphosate, the surfactant that's in the herbicide actually goes on to the frogs, and that's very detrimental to a frog, probably end up dying. Um, So, yes, that's one way. Um, We have also gone to digging out small plants, if we find just the occasional one. It is one of those things you've just got to keep on working against and keep monitoring. So what would you suggest in a a broad-scale area of spiny rush? So broad-scale, what I have seen that works is burning 
allowing it to regrowth and then going through and spraying with a glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And you may well have to go and respray with glyphosate the following year mm. because it's just an incredibly difficult plant. I think what, what I certainly used to think was that, that when I'd see one plant, a great big sort of clump of it, mm-hmm. I thought that was one plant. It's not. It's actually multiple, many, many little plants that's happened from when one seed head has fallen and they've all re-sprouted. What we find is if we dig them out, it seems to trigger a seedling response. So you might take out the the main big parent plant and the next year the ground around it is just thick with very small seedlings okay. of spike brush. Um, so that's when we would either... I have been known to hand weed pulling out individual small ones by hand, but that's when I got the time. I think if I had a bigger, broader thing, a glyphosate spray. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, certainly in summer. Um, some people have also tried ploughing yep. in, um, and, and that would be a way to try and kill them initially and then do a, a spray afterwards or plough and keep ploughing, but you're usually operating in areas which are a bit um, unstable and sensitive, so you don't want to be necessarily... I personally wouldn't go in and plough or rip and mound because I think you're upsetting the soil structure too yes. much. Yes. And we had a look today at some different areas that you've actually revegetated from where you've removed the spiny rush. What did you find worked and that you think would be beneficial for farmers? What we have done is if there's an area that the spiny rush would be growing in, we've tried to put in other stuff so that it doesn't get a hold and doesn't get established. Um, what's really good if, you've, if you're running stock, particularly sheep, would I would suggest planting saltbush. There's some very good species out there, both river saltbush, old man saltbush, and the special anamica saltbush, very palatable to sheep, great for an autumn feed source. Obviously, they can't be left in there for ages and ages, but the saltbush is an incredibly adapted I mean, it comes from Western Australia, yes. West Arm. It's very well adapted, but it also will tolerate being eaten down to having no leaves on the plant. And as long as it gets a break, it will re-sprout. Mm. Um, and it's a perennial, so it's there for the long term. You plant it once and then you can graze it for you know, 10, 20 years yeah. going forward. Mm. Well, how did your property and the environment benefit from your eradication of spiny rush? I think the environment benefits from having just one less South African weed in it. Oh, I mean, it's still there. We do do a constant monitoring. We thought we'd removed it from one area. I went back 13 years later. Mm. Um, or it wasn't that I went back. I was still in the area, but I hadn't looked at this particular site for 13 years, and there was a huge... Um, infestation of it had come back and it's just because I hadn't checked it on previous years. So it's a, a constant checking. Um, the benefits are that it's not spreading out mm. into your pasture or into your cropping areas and sheep will eat the small stuff, the, the seedlings but once it gets so established that it's cheap by jowl or, or touching each other the sheep aren't going to go mm. in there because it's just too revolting. It's no good for anything is it? Not really, no. no. Yes, and so what you did, you were also showing me, um, is you had straw bales that you thought um, um, would be yes, a good idea. Yes, my straw bale mm. uh, trial. 
Um, yes, there was an old round bale that had got left behind, mm. and I actually rolled that out over some salt affected, very badly salt affected. It was bare ground. The first year after we did that, um, some oats came up. Um, it was actually oat and hay, so it wasn't straw, but um, some oats came up. And that year we then planted directly into that some salt-tolerant species like saltbush, Melaleuca thioides, otherwise called saltbuster, Melaleuca, I can never remember whether it's Halmatorum or Hamulosa, but both of those are fairly salt-tolerant and will also tolerate some water logging. We also have got some native rush, which is the Juncus bumea, and that you can tell the difference because it's when you stick your hand on top of it, you don't go, yow, yeah. um, it's, it will bend. It's certainly more upright and it's a more limey green yes. in colour. Mm-hmm. So we did a small trial of those. They were growing. So whenever we were in that area, we would grab some of the seed heads and just keep spreading them upstream. And then they have colonized the areas where the spike crush mm. used to be. I think you could, if you had a large area that you were trying to control the spike crush, and if you had old bales that weren't going to be used by stock, it would certainly be worthwhile trialing, mm. maybe, mm. putting out some hay or something. Because they, from what I have learned or have been told, is that the spike crush needs sunlight, to germinate and it, it needs not only a bare patch but it needs the sunlight for the seed to germinate okay. yep. so if you can cover up the seed you won't get that germination yep. and you've found that by replacing it with this native rush yep. it hasn't been able to come back no it generally hasn't where the native rush has colonized the spike rush hasn't come back okay. because it's outcompeted yes it is a thing that will the spike rush will take over mm just because that's what weeds do. Yep. They, they will grow in an area where there's nothing else growing. But if you can get something else growing there, mm-hmm. that's probably the main thing. If you can get something else growing instead of the spike rush, you you might then be able to get a benefit from that land rather than it just being a wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also adding to biodiversity. Yes, um, I certainly will always try and incorporate several different species um, when we're planting into areas that have been affected by spike rush. So some melaleucas, some saltbush, and maybe even some of those rushes, the, the local rush, um, and maybe some samphire as well if it's a particularly badly salt-affected yep. area. It yep. just depends on each individual situation is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I plant a diversity of species because some might not work, some do, and... Uh, for me personally, it's always a, like, oh, I've got the right thing in that place because I see seedlings coming up a few years later. Yeah, so they're just happy. Yeah. Well, I I guess there's obviously the biodiversity. I mean, mm. we're, we're, that's very important to us, but farmers are finding it's encroaching on their cropping land, pasture yeah. land. It's it, very hard to move around. It's injuring stock. Yeah, and um, we definitely do that. Yeah, so, I mean, the, it benefits everybody, really, to get rid of it. And it is a hard thing to get rid of, but I think that if we all band together, if yes. we all do this... And if you can certainly start from the top of a catchment or from the top of a creek line, that yes. certainly helps. Because it's waterborne mainly. It is water, mainly waterborne. Yeah. Um, I mean, it might get transported a bit on kangaroos, but I doubt that. From what we've seen... The seed head falls not far from the parent plant. Yeah. There might be a little bit of wind dispersal. There might be a bit of 
bird dispersal, but I don't think so. And the other thing is that, yes, it might take a long time to eradicate, but even if you can just get the numbers down to a manageable level, yes. mm. the sheep actually might be able to gain some benefit from eating the small plants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's because it can be quite a discouraging thing. As you said, it's very ongoing. But what's something that you could say to encourage people to continue the fight against spiny rush? It's a personal satisfaction. Yeah. I think that I certainly gain from going, oh, look. Because we, when we have, when we've had small infestations, we have actually dug them up by hand and we will put them, because most of our creek lines are actually fenced off. So sometimes we can't see the spiny rush from the far break of those fence lines. So we will actually put the spiny rush, once we've dug it up, we'll stick it on the fence as a reminder to say, there is spiny rush in there, you need to check it. Yeah. So I get, I personally get a bit of a buzz um, from going, oh, great, haven't we've checked that. We checked it last year. There aren't any spiny rush there, and that's a nice thing. Yeah. It also means there are areas that we can walk now mm. where we never used to be able to walk. Yes. Yeah. So that's it certainly makes quite a difference there. And it's encouraging in itself to hear a success story. So it can be done. It can be done. Yes. 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 It and done. it's well worth doing. It yeah. is. It does take a bit of perseverance. It does take a bit of time, but it is actually doable. And I think a lot of people just go, oh, it hasn't worked this one time. I'm, it's too hard. But it is, it is manageable. Yes. It just takes persistence. Mm. Well, that's great. It's been lovely talking to you, Sarah. Thank you very much. I'm certainly always happy to share what I've learned. Yes. And I've learned from other people. So yes. thank you for your interest. No worries. Thank okay. you very much. Lovely. See you later, everyone. A big thank you to Sarah for sharing her experience on the eradication of spiny rush. Some good tips to remember. Digging up plants can provoke a seedling response with new plants popping up where the parent plant was dug up the previous year. Burning and following up with glyphosate is most effective on large infestations. A second glyphosate application the following year is also helpful. Collecting the seeds after removing the plants will help, however it isn't efficient on larger infestations. Planting natives such as saltbush and native spiny rush will replace and compete with spiny rush and is effective for long-term improvement and competition against other weeds. Smothering the area with hay or straw can also help reduce germination. Continuously monitoring any areas prone to the weed is crucial to ensuring it does not re-establish. Now onto the second part of today's episode. It's time to meet Erin O'Brien. Today I'm here with the newest member of the West Midlands group, Erin O'Brien. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's uh, <laughs> exciting to be here. Very excited to have you. So you have joined the team as our new Beef Extension Officer. Can you tell us a little bit about the project that you're going to be running here? Yeah, sure. So the project is looking at the benefits of backgrounding cattle in Western Australia and then increasing the number of cattle going through the backgrounding system. So cattle are brought down from the pastoral zones of Western Australia into the southern regions where they grow and increase condition. This allows the cattle to be sold to a wider range of markets and decreases the number of cattle entering the live export market. So the aim of this project is to collect as much data as possible during the process um, so that we can then determine with producers ways to increase profitability and productivity. 
All right, well, let's go back a little bit. What were you doing before you joined the Westmillans Group? So I completed an animal science degree at Murdoch University in 2018. After that, I had no clue where I wanted to go, but I did know that I wanted to continue in ag and I was definitely keen to learn more about the industry and continue my involvement. So after that, I just after I graduated, I went and worked for a couple of months on a cattle station up in the Northern Territory, which was a really great experience. Um, and then after that, I've just been working on a couple of small um, beef cattle farms uh, near Perth just to gain some more practical experience as I actually spent my childhood in the city and didn't have much experience actually on farm. What are you most passionate about when it comes to agriculture? Um, I think the main thing is that there's just so much happening in agriculture. It's such a wide industry and it's such a vital part of society. Um, and new developments and technologies and practices are emerging all the time and I really wanted to be a part of that journey. I also think that agriculture has and will continue to benefit from communication pathways. So it's really exciting to see technologies increase in that. Um, so this is increasing the ease in which information is spread, which is really positive to farming because it has always been quite isolated. And I think it's going to be really interesting seeing increased communication with producers and seeing where that can take us. All right, well, let's move away from the work side of things so we can get to know you a little bit better. What do you like to do in your spare time? I love playing team sports. Um, so that's mainly netball and AFL. So really anything that gets me outside and socialising because I love to chat. That's pretty much it. I do also love like to read um, but I do play a lot of sports so that takes up most of my time. Cool what about the best place that you've traveled to? I have been really lucky my parents really enjoy traveling and they've sacrificed a lot to get me and my sister out and about. I think you learn a lot from different cultures in different countries so it's been really really interesting. Um, my favorite would have to be Breckenridge Colorado because I do love a good active holiday so skiing ticks all my boxes. I also took part in an agricultural tour in China for two weeks in 2018 mm. which was a really rewarding experience because things are done very differently over there. Yeah and was that through uni? Yeah through yeah. uni. Oh, yeah. cool. So when you were on your ag tour in China like what was the most memorable thing about that trip? Um, well the culture was a huge shock <laughs> for one thing it was really interesting it's just very very different over there. I guess it's just that all of their farming is very intensive and it's interesting to see how they've used minimal space to produce as much as possible yeah. um, because they do have very different conditions over there and they've it's interesting to see what they've done with what they've got. Well, that sounds really, really interesting. What are you currently watching on Netflix? Um, I don't watch a heap of Netflix because I, I struggle to sit still for too long. <laughs> yeah. love watching test cricket because I can kind of come and go Yeah, and not pay attention to it for long periods of time and then come back and I haven't really missed anything. Yeah. Okay, final question. Do you have a secret talent? I am a very open book, mm -hmm. so I don't really have a secret talent. So you just have um, a talent? I was going to say that, but I don't actually have a talent. <laughs> okay, tell us something that okay, no most people wouldn't know about you. What's something that you um, think would surprise most people about you? Have a pet bird. Okay. She's a parrot called Ruby. I sometimes take her for a walk. I actually found her at a park near my house about four years ago. And I think someone just threw her out because Aww. she's very noisy and she screams a lot. Okay. But so she's also very smart, so it's very fun to teach her tricks. She would just sit, if she could, she would just sit on my shoulder all day. Aww. She just wants to be around people. She, When people start talking near her, she kind of starts just saying random little words. And then she'll do a little laugh. If people are laughing, she goes, ha ha ha. 
is so cool. I can't wait for you to bring her up. Yeah. Great. It's been really nice to get to know you a bit better and we're very excited to have you on the team and we can't wait for our members and producers to get to know you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to start working on this project. Thanks to Erin for joining us and we're very excited to have her on board. If you're heading to the West Midlands Group's Seasonal Updates event tomorrow on March 16th in Dandarigan, you'll have the opportunity to hear from Erin when she presents on boosting beef production in the West Midlands region alongside Yathru producer and West Midlands Group chair Murray Gray. If you'd like more information on the Beef Links project, you can visit our website and head straight to the projects page. If you're enjoying our podcast, please make sure you rate, review and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcasts. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Visit our website www.wmgroup.org.au and head to the Become a Member page. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do. And finally, thank you to our sponsors and members without whom this podcast would not be possible. See you next time for some more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.